thrilled tonight because uh, our special guest is Sue Liljenberg, and she is the International Director of Healing Hearts Ministries, which is a phenomenal ministry that deals with women who are post-abortive, meaning that they've had an abortion, and they've been struggling some for over 20 years uh, trying to process what's occurred. And they provide a ministry where they reach out to these women and they allow them to heal. Uh, this is something that a lot of folks try to dismiss as though it doesn't exist, but it brings great depression and emotional distress. And Sue has a wonderful story. It's one that I know you're all going to enjoy. So here we go. I want to introduce to you my friend now, Sue Liljenberg. Nice to have you with it's us. It's good to be here, Rob. I, I, now, you're in New Mexico, and you've taken yes. the trip to come out here to California to be with right. us live. And we wanted to do this earlier, but we just crossed paths and <laughs> something went wrong. But now we're together. And, you know, today, as we were recording, uh, we had the opportunity to really kind of look at what the nation's going through in all these trials and difficulties with the election and what occurred in D.C. And uh, the nation's just divided. And folks have been trying to hold on and figure out what is happening. But as I pointed out, and I, I believe with all my heart, that this is, uh, you know, God judges nations. And we had, what, four million slaves in 1860 and uh, Lincoln stepped forward and, uh, with the Emancipation Proclamation, ending slavery in the United States of America. And with that, it, it came at a cost. Uh, we had 2% of our nation, 650,000 soldiers, die in a field of battle. And here we are in 2020, and uh, we abort 1 million babies a year in the United States of America. 1 million human beings. And we declare that they're not persons because they're, as the SLED acronym, their size or their level of development or their environment or their degree of dependency. And, and none of those arguments hold up. Uh, I, I love what uh, one commentator says. He says, if you're washing dishes at a sink and your back is to your little four-year-old child, and as you're washing dishes, that child comes up behind you and your back is to them and they say, Daddy, can I kill this? The first word out of your mouth is, what is it? And they say, well, it's a spider. Well, go ahead and step on it. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. But if they say it's my little brother, then it changes. Yeah. And so the question with a baby in the womb is, what is it? And as a nation, we have kind of avoided that. Mm -hmm. And since 1973, we've had abortion legal in America. And the one thing that folks don't talk about is the emotional distress on women who have had an abortion. And, you know, God is a God of mercy. Now, granted, He judges nations. We've legalized abortion, but you have these women who've gone through this process. And it almost seems as though mainstream media avoids the idea that there's consequences to that. Right. Now, not only are you the International Director of Healing Hearts Ministry ministering to these women, but you're, you're one of those ladies. Absolutely. You went through that heartache. Yes, I did. Tell us a little bit about the ministry. Tell us about your story. I, I really, I'm not going to be asking a lot of questions. I'm going to be doing a lot of listening. So uh, it's welcome and go for it. Share Thank with folks. You. Well, when I was 18 years old, I just thought I knew everything, just like most 18-year-olds do. Sure, sure. And uh, I was smart, graduated midterm in my senior year, met a young man that was four years older than me, Was had a career in hospitality, hotel management, was getting ready to graduate. And... Um, so we had planned a wedding like in April because he was going to get an assignment in June, you know, long yeah. story short. Anyway, we compromised our relationship. And if people need to know what that means, we can explain later. Okay, I had <laughs> sex before marriage and got pregnant the first time. Wow. And 
I was so naive, had no idea, you know, anything. So to make a very long story short, um, you don't have to do he that. Was, he was afraid. You don't, you don't have to make a long story short. <laughs> okay. He, he was afraid, you know, he was a young man about ready to embark on a career. Right. Um, you know, we were in love. We wanted to get married. Well, then, you know, his family started really putting pressure on him, basically saying, you know, if you do this, it'll ruin your life. You know, you can always have children later. Um, and he just had so much pressure, he just caved and he got scared. And they, in fact, they even paid for the abortion. At that time, it was a year before Roe v. Wade. So I had to go to New York City to have the abortion. And uh, I actually tried to commit suicide a few weeks before that because I just thought, I don't want to do this. If, if I have to kill, like, I, if I have to kill this baby to save this relationship, it just was so confusing. It was conflicting. It was very conflicting. Were, were you a woman of faith at the time? Were you no, a churchgoer? So, no. so no religious background, no. but you just intrinsically knew, it. I mean, the nation was probably a little more moral then and right. an understanding of life, but uh, th there, was, there, there was a conviction in yeah. your heart. Well, and the thing is, is that all my life, all I ever wanted to be was a mom. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be the woman with 12 kids and a sheepdog and a white picket fence and the big van. And, you know, I mean, that's that was what I wanted for my life. And uh, that's why I, it was like a nightmare. I thought, how could I be in this position? How could I be having to make this decision to do this? Uh, and that's why I wanted to just do away with myself. And then when that failed, I just thought, well, I guess I can't do anything right. Mm. I might as well just do this. And I was told the same lies all the other women are told. You can have children later. You know, uh, you don't want to end up on welfare. You don't want to ruin your life. You know, this man's got a career to look forward to. And so basically, the very thing I did to save the relationship was the very thing that destroyed mm. the relationship. Wow. And the sad thing is, is that, you know, I saw it was shortly after the abortion that we broke off our relationship. And then I saw... You know, he turned to alcohol before I started using drugs to numb myself. But anyway, he turned to alcohol. He lost his job. See, the very thing mm. we did to save yeah. the job, the relationship, and everything just came tumbling down. And, um, and the ironic thing is, is to this day, neither one of us have biological children. Oh. So we took the life of the only child that either one of us would ever have. And it probably took both of us about 10 years, you know, the last contact I ever had of what his life was like. It was about 10 years later before he was able to pick himself up and kind of get back to somewhat of a normal life. And I really pray every day, you know, as we minister to women and men in Healing Hearts right, that right, are post-abortive, right. I just pray every day that, that someday he'll come to know Jesus because that's the only hope. Your story is so similar to the director in our church of the Healing Hearts Ministry, Vicki Miller. Mm -hmm. um, the only child she would have had would have been the one that she aborted. Right. And just, just the heaviness of that, but then bringing it to a place where you're now a part of a ministry to women who are just going through the regret and the pain. Can you share with right. folks how long it took you to get to a place where you found healing and, and how did you get involved with Healing Hearts Ministry? Just tell everyone right. if you would. Well, for, I always tell people for 10 years after my abortion, I lived in a prison built with my own hands. Wow. Because shortly after the abortion, 
I just started drinking. I mean, I just, it was like I needed some kind of an escape. And so I started drinking. I was, used drugs minimally. Um, I got involved in the occult. You know, I was, I was searching. I was yeah. looking for some kind of yeah. answers for something. And um, my life was the pits. <laughs> so um, You put the fun in dysfunction. I think I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was, it was horrible. It really was. And, and destructive relationships. How about your family? Um, mom, dad, we, You siblings. don't talk about it. You just nobody talks about my it. My mom was the only one that knew at the time. So it was a, it was a secret that you just kind of put right. under the rug. You just don't talk about it. And, I couldn't and, even talk to her about it because she basically, she said, well, if abortion would have been available, you and your little brother wouldn't be here. Wow. So that was her attitude. So it was like there was there was nobody to go to where I felt like I could talk and you know get any resolve. So, so you're you're drinking, you're experimenting with drugs, <laughs> you're in the occult, bringing no solace, no comfort. Right. Things and are so spiraling. I really I just hit bottom. And my sister happened to be in town. I was in grew up in Kansas. She happened to be in town, and she said, "You know, why don't you come live with us?" You know, my brother-in-law had been uh, uh, one of the guys on the pipeline and and they were pretty much finishing things up down there so they had moved to Seattle she said just come live with us and get out of here you know just get it in a different place it would sure. be better so I did I moved to Seattle and probably about two years after I moved to the Seattle area I ended up working with uh, one of those blazing born-again Christians right, yeah, like isn't that just amazing yeah. and so uh, and she actually had family that lived in Kansas so we kind of hit it off and we let me if you don't mind sure that I'd interject because uh, we have folks that follow on the live stream just so I can clarify for them what the word born again means Jesus says you need to be born of the Spirit we've been right. born physically but being born alive to the things that uh, cause you to to experience the spirit of God and and what he desires for mankind right that we are a trichotomy a three-part being body soul and spirit right and without the Lord we're operating with only two of the three principles of who we are and so you're born into a new life where the Lord yeah. is now sitting on the throne of your life dictating to to your soul what your body's to do and now you're aligned with his purposes I, I right. think that's a fair enough definition so people know what born again means right and Christ used the term that's that's people like to use it derogatorily but Christ said born again so, absolutely yeah. so anyway she she just befriended me and she invited me to church and she invited me to be part of her little group of people and and I enjoyed being around them I really did yeah you know but I just thought bunch of goody two-shoes like if they only knew what I was like they wouldn't be hanging around with me and so for about a year she she just put up with everything you know, and she'd tell me the truth. She would just lay it out and say, you know, that's not what God's word says. Because the cultic involvement and all that stuff. I mean, she was dealing with some really wild stuff yeah, in my life. Thing, sure. Yeah. And so um, one day, I think she just got really frustrated, probably about a year into our relationship. She just got really frustrated because I just seemed to be going the other direction. And she just got really angry with me. And she goes, I don't know what's wrong with you because she didn't know about my abortion or, you know, she yeah, just that, knew that I was been kind swept of messed under the rug up years ago. Yeah. yeah. She said, I don't know what's wrong with you, but she said, you need to get to a point to where you know that somebody died and bled for you so that you don't have to live like this. I mean, she just like hit me upside the head with a gospel and I needed that. I really needed that. And so at that point, I just feel like God kind of pulled back the mask and all of a sudden, like everything just became like technicolor, like like everywhere I went, 
like I would walk into the store, like I, I think I went into the Bible bookstore because she said, well, you need to go buy a Bible. So I walk into the Bible bookstore and they're playing Pat Boone's Let Me Live, <laughs> you know, and then I go home and I turn on the TV and there were people like picketing the abortion clinic. Mm. And then, so I, I mean, everywhere I went, there was, there was abortion. I couldn't get away from it or whatever. And then one night I just, I just surrendered. I was alone in my apartment and I just started weeping. And I just remember my aunt raised me and I didn't know what else to do. And I just said, God, the only prayer I know is my, the, my childhood prayer. Now mm. I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I literally, I cried myself to sleep. Mm. And the next day when I woke up, it was like amazing. Wow. I was not the same person. Yeah, it's not rocket science, is it? No, it isn't. I mean, God just basically led me to a place where I just had to surrender my life. And after that, you know, it just kind of went from there. So I started searching. I started looking for someone to talk to. Um, my friend basically brought me in her church. I, they started discipling me, which was incredible. Now, again, discipleship just simply means instructing someone on what it means <clears throat> to live the Christian life. Right. And, and to understand the 66 books of the Bible and to understand what it means right. to be saved by grace. and. Just laying a foundation for you. They took time to do that. They took time to do that. And so, you know, for, for quite a few months, you know, I was just kind of like always, I'd go to work, I'd come home, and it was just like the rest of my time was prayer and in the Word or being discipled by somebody. And God just really poured His Word into me. Now, you know, I, I reflected on it today that His, His Word is our hope. As Christians, we believe His Word to be true. And in a world where we're trying to figure out truth and who's telling us the truth and what news source is telling us the truth, we do know that when we read His Word, it's unlike any book in the world. It's the only book in the world mm -hmm. where we don't read it, it reads us. Right. Maybe you could share with the folks that are viewing this and maybe some that have gone through or are going through what, you're, what you endured. How did, just reading the Bible, what did it do? As you're reading the Bible... What is so significant about that to you? It brought comfort because I had no answers before. And so when, you know, I mean, like they taught me how to use a concordance. So I, I like I would spend most of my time looking up, well, what does God think about this? What does God think about this? So a concordance has wherever that word is listed in the scripture, these are the chapters where you, or the verses right. you can find it. And you're looking at each of those. So it's giving and I'm you an just, understanding. That's great. I'm just going through every scripture that had was of that topic and, and learning as much as I could. I mean, God just was pouring stuff into me. It was, it was kind of crazy. And then, you know, I kind of got involved in the pro-life movement, which I think a lot of post-abortive women do. Let me back that up a little bit because okay. we skipped a step that I okay. think would be helpful for our, our viewers. You, you gave your heart to the Lord with that simple childhood prayer. Mm -hmm. You woke up a different person. When did God confront you or was it that evening where you realized, Lord, this is heavy on my heart. Will you take this, my guilt, my shame? When, when did it come to the forefront of your mind that this issue of, of the death of your child really had to be given to him and just say, God, forgive me. 
When did that come about? It came about after I was born again, after, you know, the Lord saved me. Um, and it was kind of like, I don't know, I would say within about six or months or so afterwards. And that's when I got a little bit angry because I thought, okay, now wait a minute. This is all in my past. Right. You know, God, you're supposed to take this away from me. Like, yeah. why is this all co- like it was up in my throat? I want your mic there. You know, <laughs> it was it was just like in my throat, and I and it was choking me, and and then I got a little bit angry because I felt like that I didn't have to deal with any of that. Sure. And then it was kind of like <laughs> I felt like I was wrestling with the Lord. Like, no, I don't want to deal with this. Like, I want to leave this back there. The scripture says that he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And then you're asking yourself, then why am I still remembering it? Now, he may have forgotten it, but you haven't. Right. And the Lord's saying, well, there's consequences to our sin. Right. We have shame and we have guilt and we have to process what we've done Mm -hmm. and understand the severity of it and walk through that step. There's a mourning process. There's a grieving process. There's, and, And maybe he's not held it to your account right. to hold you guilty. But as human beings with a memory, he wants to heal us of that. Absolutely. Is, would that be a fair assessment? Right. Okay. And actually it, it wasn't until I met another woman who had had an abortion at a pro-life conference. And I said, cause I had nobody to talk to. Mm. I tried to talk to people at church and they kind of looked at me like I like with a deer in the headlights. Yeah. Like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. What year would this have been? It would have been in 83, 1983. So we we now have since Roe v. Wade in 1973 and then you were the year before that with your abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then it becomes legalized in 73 and 83. We're still trying to formulate who's been affected by it. The church is struggling over it. Uh, how do we treat women who have confessed to having had an abortion? I don't even think they were thinking that no, way. No, and there's almost a, a, a shame. I mean, the church is always slow to understand the heart of God. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, we always want to, I call it pietism, where, you know, well, you know, I'm better than you are because I've never done that. Right. Instead of helping people process the things, I mean, we're, we all come to the foot of the cross with guilt and shame. Yeah. And And so... You didn't find anyone that could understand that until this one woman. Until, the, until she came along and talked to me. Because I actually, I tried to talk to somebody at church, one of the elders at our church. And, you know, he kind of was part of discipling me in yeah. the word. And um, he just said, oh, um, are you going to the potluck on Saturday? So just dismiss. So it was like, I just felt like I was so embarrassed. I felt like I had just opened up my life and I just stood there and there was, there was no interaction. But this, crickets, like. Yeah. But this woman was extremely helpful. And she basically just said, she said, you know, God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to carry that. Mm. You know, he loves you so much that he wants to take that off of you. You know, you're, you're not made to carry that burden. And, um, and that's the first time. I mean, seriously, even as a saved woman, I just thought, how could God possibly, how could God possibly forgive me for wow. killing my baby? Wow. Like that doesn't even, I can't even comprehend that. But nobody could give me any answers until I met her. And she said, he already has. Mm. 
You just need to receive it. Amen. You know, and so she, she ministered to me just like we would get together for hours and just talk. And it was so comforting and so helpful. And then, you know, the next thing that I kind of like noticed was a lot of the women, we were kind of attracting other women who were post-abortive, but it was pro-life movement. We were picketing abortion clinics, you know. And this then, is a Terry Randall era. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, Operation Rescue, right. you know, all of that. And so um, I started noticing, like, I was be, being healed. Like, I was free. I had joy, yeah. you know. And I looked at these other women, and they were angry. Because they're participating in the pro-life movement, but they're doing it almost out of trying to usage the guilt that they haven't processed. Yes. And it's coming across that way. Exactly. They're, they're feeling towards the others the way they feel about themselves because they've never seen themselves in the light of forgiven grace. Right. But they were so angry. And, and I would try to talk to them. And it was like, it didn't really do any good. Well, we just got to go pick at this clinic. We got to do this march. We got to. And finally, I got to the point to where God had healed me to the point. It's like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Not that I wasn't pro-life. Not that I didn't believe. You know, I was on the steering committee for the first crisis pregnancy center in the state wow. of Washington. Wow. You know, and so it wasn't that I didn't believe in pro-life or, you know, that abortion was wrong. But it was like, There's, this is not good. This is really not good. Yeah, and then, early on, the, the early pro-life movement took on almost an angry tone in some regards. Yeah, it did. And I think that's why the church kind of went like, what do we do with this? We're not going to yeah. get involved in that. So finally, I just thought, okay, why am I different than them? What, what is the difference? And I just really feel like the sweet voice of the Lord said, because I've healed you. Amen. Because my word has covered your wounds mm. and I've healed you. And then I thought... Okay, that's the answer. And then I, I just really felt like God had given me the scripture in Isaiah, um, you know, Isaiah 61, you know, to give people beauty for ashes yeah. and the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of spirit of heaviness. And I just um, actually found another Bible study that had been written uh, for post-abortive women. But I think the thing that, that concerned me was that Bible study was very weak in areas where God really pressed in on me, areas of repentance, sure. which I call a love word. Yeah, it is a love word. It is a love word. Because he and, doesn't want us doing the things that are hurting us. And the areas of forgiveness. You know, the, the Bible study was really weak. And so I, I got to the point to where I was adding so much to that other Bible study that I thought, I can't, I can't do that. I, I just need to, a pastor friend of mine says, well, why don't you just sit down and write your story? Mm. Why don't you just sit down and, and go through the scriptures or the, the avenue that God took you and just see what happens. See if God will just meet you right there. And that's what I did. And that's where our Binding Up the Brokenhearted Bible study came from. It was just my journey what year was in that? the scriptures. Um, I'm thinking it was probably 1985, 1986. It was only a couple of years after I got saved, which was pretty amazing because theologically, I'm sure I wasn't very mature, but uh, God did it. You sure. know, He's the one that did it through me. But um, then we started using that study. Uh, I spoke at a Calvary Chapel in Seattle for five minutes. They had a five-minute ministry moment, and I spoke up there for like five minutes and uh, sat down, and the service was over, and I turned around and looked, and there were like 10 women looking at me, 
going, when, when do we start? Wow. And, and you, you do it in confidentiality. The church doesn't know who signs up for your Bible studies. Because no. we have the ministry here with Vicki, and I don't know what right. women are going through it. But back then, they're lined up, and they're not even they afraid what anyone thinks. No, I, I need care. this. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that, uh, that I feel is really important about our ministry is that, that God made it very clear to me that this ministry needed to be done in the church. He did not call me to start a ministry outside the church. No parachurch. He said, I want it in the church under the authority of the leadership of the church because the church needs to own this issue. They need, in other words, the church has been called to disciple and minister and shepherd, you know, the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was, it was a fight. It was, it's been a real battle because the church didn't really know what to do with us. Well, and even today, you know, it's the, the, the topic of abortion is not one that is seeker sensitive. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can really preach a church down to a manageable size if you talk about abortion. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't work on a business model of a church. But that doesn't take away from the fact that that's our calling. Right. And, and even instead of starting a parachurch ministry, you, you're committed to making sure the church does this. And they're not all willing to embrace it. So yeah, how, how has that worked? I mean, you, you know, you obviously have a ministry in our church. Right. Um, how's that going? It's, it's challenging. <laughs> it's really challenging. Like I said, they don't really know what to do with us because a lot of pastors will go, well, what do you want? And I'll say, we don't want anything. We just want to disciple someone to come in your body to be able to do this ministry so that you can, you know, Shepherd, so yeah, you, you and can provide this for the right. women in there that have no one to go to. Right, and so they're not quite sure what to do with it because a lot of people that start ministry outside the church, they want to take the sheep outside of the church, and we don't want to do that. No, we want we want to continue like we want to put somebody back in your church so that they can reproduce themselves, right? And so that women can be ministered to. Even I always say it starts in the church, but then there's the neighborhood. And then there's, right. you know, we call it healing hearts in the church, across the country, and then around the world. Oh, that's a great line. So it's kind of like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the yeah. most parts of the world. Yeah. And, and you would have a ministry towards post-abortive women, just like you would have a, a ministry to those who come out of addiction, or you have right. a ministry. It, it's a or, or a divorce ministry. I mean, with each of these, there's guilt, there's shame. Uh, there, there's a, a need to connect with someone who understands what, yes. what each of these steps are and what you're dealing with. Fascinating. Our study is very discipleship oriented, meaning it's very foundational. So a lot of people approach this issue uh, kind of like on a, like a, like it's a single issue. Like we're, we're going to deal with the abortion. Right. Well, our, our materials deal with the whole person. You know, when Jesus dealt with me, when he, when he took me through his word, he didn't just say, okay, we're just going to deal with this one thing over here, you know, and then you can go somewhere else right. and deal with the rest of it. Right. You know, he said, I want to deal with it, all of it. So when somebody goes through our Bible study, in fact, we have one for non-post-abortive women as well, because we saw how rich this first study was, yeah. and then we wanted to minister to other issues. And, and we've had women gone through that as well. Yeah. So... Um, I just felt like, you know, there's too many people going to this group, into this group, into this group, into this group, when Jesus is just saying, let's just deal with all of it. 
So when you're when you're going through it for your abortion, okay, what other areas of it's your life? It's interconnected and absolutely critical. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Then, then let's let's do this. This would be a good segue. You're talking about women. Do you have anything for men? Yes, we do. I already knew that. <laughs> Actually, we have a post-abortive study for men. And right now we are working on a study. It's called, um, I'm going to forget the title now. Um, the uh, Let's see, the fight of your life is our teen boy study. Oh, darn, I can't think of the title. Anyway. We'll get it later. Oh, like God's fight. God's plan for every man or something. Anyway, it's a brand new study that we're working on because we've had, we've got men that are not post-abortive that are saying, you know, we men need this too. We sure. men need to be discipled. So, you know, we're working on that. We actually have studies for everybody. That's so cool. <laughs> we have our teen studies. We have the women's studies and the men's studies. So a ministry that begins to minister to post-abortive women ends up becoming a discipleship arm of the body of Christ. Yes. And that, that's your calling. Yes, it is. And that's your gift. Yes, it is. Um, what's, what's the best way folks can get in, in contact with Healing Hearts Ministries? Uh, now, you, you, you have them in churches, but it's hard to get them around the country. So I'd imagine the folks that would really need to connect with you would be the pastors of the church. Right. Right. We have a website. It's healinghearts.org. And that's, you know, the best place to start. And um, another thing that's unique about our ministry is like probably 15 years ago, God gave me a vision to do uh, ministry online. And we had just been given a web page. I mean, that it was like email was almost brand new at that point. You've got mail. <laughs> exactly. That's what it was. <laughs> anyway, and so women started emailing me. Um, I don't even know how they found out where we were at that time, but they started emailing me and just pouring their hearts out about their abortions. Well, I'm sitting in... Uh, Federal Way, Washington, and these women were all over the country, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, what am I going to do? So I just started ministering to these women through the email, and that's kind of how our e-ministry was born. Okay. And now we have, uh, most of our studies are online. We have a kind of a semi-interactive counseling situation where somebody can go online, they can go through the Bible study with one of our trained counselors, and we can take them completely through the Bible study. After they're done with the Bible study, if their pastor and them feel like they're called to do this ministry in their church, we have our, our training is completely online. Tell me about the training uh, to be qualified with Healing Hearts Ministries, where you, you become a person that is, in a sense, ordained by the ministry itself to then conduct the discipleship. How, What's the training that someone would go through? I, I mean, I know the answer to it because I've seen with Vicki. Right. But, but tell, tell the folks watching. Right. We, we first requirement is that you have to go through the Bible study. And for, for the post-abortive ministry, you, we require that you be post-abortive. We think that's important. Absolutely. I mean, what, yeah. what am I going to say to somebody? Yeah, you know? Exactly. And then we basically do kind of a basic Bible counseling. It's biblical counseling that we take people through. We want to we make sure that they're grounded theologically. We want to make sure that they understand the difference between biblical counseling and psychological counseling, um, that God's word is sufficient, it's inerrant, um, it's just another level of discipleship that they have to go through. I don't know the answer to this, but I, I just a, a question. Did Bob Ho Hoekstra have anything before he passed? Do you know who he is? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I, we've, uh, at he one was time, so good at biblical counseling. Yeah, at one time we used man. his videos, and he was amazing. Yeah. 
I love that guy and really miss him. Yeah. The good guys are going fast. It well, seems but he's like. he, he has a well-deserved homecoming. He's 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 happy. Oh, yeah. Don't bring him back. He's, absolutely, yeah, he, absolutely. We need other folks to rise up. So yeah, we we take people through a series. It takes about a year to go through the training. Okay. And uh, and it's an intense discipleship with a trained leader and. Um, so that's basically how we expanded the ministry was wow. through our e-ministry. And then we train people up and then we put them back in their churches and, and then they disciple people. And it's, How many trained counselors do you have? Right currently? now we have over 200. Okay. That are, and we've trained a lot more than that, but it's, it's a hard ministry. You know, and, it's for a season for some mm-hmm, folks. It is. Yeah, you can't expect them to do it for a lifetime. It's, yeah. You know, pouring into people's lives and you got families and you do it for a season. And some people, you know, the season, like they'll start and they, and we've had leaders that have had to bow out because of, you know, the season of life that they're right. in. And we've got leaders that have come back recently that maybe 10 years ago they went through and they said, no, I'm in a different season now. I can do this. And so we're, we're pretty excited about it. We, um, we're doing some programming right now um, to expand our ability to, not only minister in other countries, but to also train people. And then our, our materials will be able to be printed, you know, by that leader in that other country. So we don't, we're not having to ship any materials sure. or do anything like that. So we're very excited about that. And um, we are very excited about our youth, our youth materials, mm-hmm. um, the first love study for girls and the fight of your life study for boys. Um, I've had a, a vision and a burden uh, after we kind of piloted those studies and we saw how effective they were for teens, um, we had a teacher in the Detroit area, inner city, that wanted to do a Bible club. And wow. so we got her the materials, said, we'll give you the materials for these precious children, you know, and you can minister to them. And we just saw God do amazing things. So we are now for on embarking on uh, inner city ministry for at-risk teens. And we're looking for pastors or people who are working with inner city kids who want to work with us. Sure. These studies are 22 weeks intensive discipleship wow. for teens. And we are seeing God do amazing things because these kids are hungry. They, they, they want the truth. And, um, you know, we've got some people in Chicago that we might be working with and some people in Jersey City that we might be working with. And I just feel that, you know, what we saw in the pilot program when we first released the studies was that children don't know how precious they are to God. Amen. You know, and these are just little bits and pieces. Like every lesson, they do five days a week. There's maybe two pages that they, that they do. Yeah. Then there's, you know, example lessons that we take them through. It's just a real, you know, s- small steps to discipleship, but um, it's good gospel stuff. For the sake of time, because we usually keep the, the program around an hour, but I, 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 I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I, I, want, I want folks to hear a couple of testimonies that come to, to mind with all the years you've been doing this. What are some stories that really touch your heart that would minister to folks out there? Well, there was one, one day I got a phone call from um, a lady and she said, my sister's in the hospital. She tried to kill herself. Would you go see her? I normally would not do that, but I felt the Lord saying, you need to do this. So um, she had just gotten out of the hospital. I went and over to her home. I said, well, first of all, I want the husband to call me and talk to me 
I want to find, you know, I just want to know what I was walking into sure. at that particular time. So I went and saw this, this gal and, um, I just felt led, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I have studied a little bit about psychotropic medications and sure. things like that. And I just said, do you mind if I ask you like, what kind of medications are you on? And she brought out this shoebox. Oh gosh. Full of, you know, like medications. And I said, do you mind if I look at those? And so I was familiar with some of them and I looked at it and went, oh my goodness. Like, Lord, what am I doing here? This is crazy. So I said, if I could, you know, get you to a doctor that could kind of help you look at all this, would that be okay? And she said, yeah. And there was a, a Christian psychiatrist in Seattle that I had been introduced to. And so I contacted him and he said, absolutely. He said, you know, have her come and I'll look at everything. And, and he said, are you going to work with her? And I said, absolutely. I'll work with her. You know, so I started her on the Bible study. She went to him. He basically took her off of everything. Wow. He said she was on enough medication. The medication could have killed her. And so, uh, we started working on working through the Bible study and, um, we were about, I think we were like on the second to the last lesson and uh, God was doing amazing things. Oh my goodness. She, she had been sexually abused by her father and that's what had caused her all of this, you know, like just drug after drug. The trauma. And she had a bad doctor. She had a bad doctor that was feeding her prescriptions. So anyway, so she was just making great progress and it was amazing. And so like the next to the last lesson, she didn't show up. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like... Like, please, Lord, what do I do now? So anyway, so I called her house and her husband answered the phone. And what had happened was he had come home and there was a note on the table. And he went, oh, no, like I've been here before, you know, like suicide note. And uh, she said, "Um, honey, I've gone to bed because I'm not feeling well. I think I have the flu. Wait a minute. So why don't wake me up when you get home? And so... I was talking to her husband on the phone and I said, well, I was just concerned. I just didn't know why she didn't show up. And he started to cry. Mm. And he said, I know where this is going. I don't even know how to thank you for giving me my wife back. Mm. And my little, two little boys giving me their mother back. Wow. And he said, and I said, well, you don't need to thank me. You need to thank Jesus because that's what did it. So that was that was one story, a really hard story, but we see women like that. I, I, I've seen in our own church, as women have felt compelled to share their testimony after going through the Healing Hearts ministry, and, and people were just mesmerized as they were sharing their testimony. And I, I just want to say as a minister of a church, how precious your ministry is you. to our fellowship. And, and I, you know, I, I would say to all the folks that uh, if you're a pastor of a church, uh, you need to contact Healing Hearts Ministries. It, it, what, what's, what's the website so folks would know? Healinghearts.org. That's pretty simple. It's pretty easy. Yeah. So healinghearts.org. Check it out. Go and look at this ministry. See their discipleship material that you'll find online. But know this, that the work they're doing and the discipleship fits in line. This is not a parachurch ministry. They're equipping saints within your own fellowship to minister to people whose lives are difficult for you to touch, but because of a relational understanding of what they've endured, 
they, they have this unbelievable ability to minister to the deepest part of who they are. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we need to do this. This is critical for the body of Christ. We, we can't idly sit by while a million abortions a year have occurred. There's not just one victim in an abortion, there's two. Yeah, and, right. and we have, I would say, the walking wounded. Absolutely. That, that, that have to come to terms with this. So, Sue, you, you've blessed me more than you know. <laughs> I want to have you back on. Okay, I have one more little story, though. Oh, please though, tell me. Because this addresses the woman that thinks I don't need it. Oh, 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 good, good, good. So Goodness. a lady, we'll a, close lady with this one. a lady in my church, she, you know, she wanted to be part of our ministry. And we said, well, you need to go through the Bible study first. We just want to make sure people have really dealt with, with the issue before they start ministering to other people. <laughs> right. And so she goes, well, I really don't need that, you know, because God's, God's healed me and, and I'm good. And I, and they said, well, it's just our requirement. You just got to do that. So she ended up going through the study and, um, about halfway through, I was coming out of church one day and she like grabbed me by the arm and she drugged me over along the side and she was just intently looking at me and her eyes started to well up with tears. And she said, I was so prideful. Mm. And she said, Sue, I had no idea the garbage that I had stuffed for years until I went through this Bible study. And she said, I don't even know how to thank you. So see, she, she thought she was okay because I think we are good at doing that as, as human beings. And I always tell people there's a lot of Christian women and men walking with a spiritual limp Yeah. because we're good at coping. You know, you have chronic pain. Right. You just deal with it. Yeah. I, I, and, I, and I really think that that's what's happened is that people are so used to dealing with the chronic pain, they think they're okay. And they're really not. No. They're not. That's a good word. That's yeah. a good word to end on. It is. So I'd like to have you back. And, okay. and I want to make an ongoing focus um, on the preservation of the unborn, that, that we become a nation of life once again. Absolutely. And, and, and not in condemnation, but to honestly see the gift we've been given in a child in the womb and that it should be the safest place in America. Absolutely. And that everyone deals with anxiety and fear and thinking the child's not wanted and wondering about, you know, with socioeconomic issues. Let's honestly take a look at this. Right. Let's as a nation start to really come up with proper solutions right. that recognizes our foundation that we are a nation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because liberty and happiness are a scarce little value right. without life. And we're a nation of life. Right. And we've been created in the image of God. And that needs to begin in the church where it matters to us. Absolutely. So I would be blessed if you would be maybe a recurring. I know it's hard to get there from New Mexico. Oh, I love it. I'd but, love but, to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then we also have Seth Gruber, who is uh, an amazing speaker yes. on uh, in defense of the unborn. And I want to make it a weekly topic because I believe this to be one of the most critical issues, if not the most. I, I'm going to say that. It is the most critical issue facing the church and America right. as we go through this season of turmoil. Because, quite frankly, this is a judgment. And God wants us to take it seriously. So. He's not a judge. Uh, he's not a... He's not a God of condemnation, but he is a God of justice. Right. And he does judge nations, but people he forgives. But nations are responsible for what they do. Right. And, you know, the other thing that, I, that just bothers me is that, you know, when you see those women, you know, that they're just... 
they just, everybody thinks they're disgusting. Those women that are marching saying, I'm glad I had my abortion and, right. and women have rights and all of that stuff. What, what, what do you think? Church? Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Right. Because I've been screaming from the rafters for 38 years saying we need to help these women. Yeah. That's the result. Yeah, because it, it, it manifests itself in anger and hurt and pain. And then the culprits are some, it, it's, we've got to stop the cycle of destruction. Right. Those women need Jesus. Amen. Amen. We all need Jesus. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say thank you for joining us. But more importantly, Sue, thank you for joining us. You're going to be a recurring guest whether you like it or not. <laughs> Uh, this has been, for me, a great blessing. Uh, this woman may or may not know, but she has been instrumental in blessing our church beyond measure and that you had that uh, great influence on Vicki Miller's life, and now <laughs> it's blessed us all. So, Sue, thank you for joining thank us. Thanks Folks, for having me. Oh, yeah, you're welcome, and you're coming back. <laughs> so thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you. And as we close every night, uh, I want to make sure that we do this. It's the blessing to all of you, and, and especially the women out there that have seen this and have been so deeply touched by the ministry God has entrusted to Sue. Uh, this is for you. This is the, the, the God who loves you, and he wants to restore you and strengthen you and bless you. And so this is out of Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And thank you again. Good night, everybody. Good night.